Well, good morning. My name is Neil Chotai, the pastor of Church Life, and we are continuing our series in the book of Mark. Now, my youngest is a toddler now, and there's a few things that we're teaching him at home, like, you know, like the alphabet, colors, numbers, and uh, lately I've been teaching him opposites. So, actually, let's be interactive today. I'm going to say a word, you give me the opposite, okay? So, on, up, left, old, good. Ah, I'm going for evil, actually, in this one. Keep with the theme, people. Keep it with the theme. Okay, dark. God. Yeah, people are like, do I say devil or Satan? What do I do? I'm like, don't worry, I'll take both of those. Okay, that's totally acceptable. Okay, I was actually afraid when I said left or right, because if I said left, some people may say Justin Trudeau, but, you know, <laughs> I, I was thinking, I, I don't know. What do, you know, what, what are you going to say? It's one of these interactive things that's a big question mark when you're a uh, minister. So today we're looking at a biblical account with opposites. Now on one side you have good, and on the other side you have evil. And it is nothing but pure evil being shown within the first century life. And this true biblical account concentrates on John the Baptist in his last days. And it's one of those passages that are quite sobering. This is not a passage or a Bible story that I'm going to read to my kids right before they go to bed. Okay, because this has to do with his death. And it's, it's total, total evil. Evil has existed since the original sin entered our world, continues to uh, today, will continue on until the devil is finally vanquished. We live in a world that is evil, and the mechanisms are there, and it just wants to take over this world, this evilness. But we who are followers of Christ, we must endure in it. And this passage of scripture, we see a man of God who is not just a follower of God, but a disciple of God that goes through some horrendous things. The title of my message is simple, Disciple. Now there are a number of figures that we have to look at today within the biblical account. And it could get a bit confusing, even the the way it begins. So we're going to be walking through the biblical account, and then after that, I'm going to give you some uh, takeaways from, from the passage. And I would like all of us to stand as we go to Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. Again, Mark 6, 14 to 29. And this is how it begins. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying... John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put him in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. 
Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once a girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. You may be seated. So let's take this uh, passage of scripture and put it into what we want to say context uh, throughout the whole narrative of Mark. So Mark actually begins with the biblical account of John the Baptist. He is there preparing the way, telling people, you need to ask God to forgive you of your sins and live the right way before God. And then we see Jesus' ministries uh, take place, the healings that is happening, and all the great things that are happening in Jesus' incredible ministry. Now, right before this passage of scripture that we're looking at, we have the sending out of the disciples. And after this passage, we have basically the return of the disciples. So Mark, in this section right here that we're looking at today, he sandwiches in the story of John, and we're going to call it what it is, murder. John's murder in this. So in the book of Mark, he's talking about what's happening, and all of a sudden we come to this passage of Scripture. In the first few verses, it talks about King Herod a bit, and then after around verse 17, it gives the full account of actually what happened to John. So we're going to go back to verse 14 here, and it says that King Herod, and he's not really a king, he likes the title king, but he's not really a king, heard about this. And what is this? This refers to Jesus' ministry. Jesus is getting really popular now. I mean, people are talking about who he is, and he become well known. And people are wondering, who is this Jesus? Now, John had already passed away and uh, murdered, and some people are saying, about, well, well it, it's, it's really John. Uh, he's been raised from the dead, and that's why he has these miraculous powers that are in him. So some people think it's John coming back to life. Other people say, no, 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 it is Elijah. It is Elijah. Elijah is very important in this because in the book of Malachi, it says Elijah would come before the day of the Lord, meaning the return, meaning God coming, coming and bringing, establishing his kingdom. So some are saying it's Elijah. Now, Elijah did come, but it wasn't Elijah himself. It was one like Elijah, and that was John the Baptist. And some people said, no, 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 no. No, you guys are all wrong. This is actually like one of the prophets of long ago. It's been 400 years since we've heard the prophetic voice in Israel. So people are wondering, who is this person named Jesus? Going to 16, now he talks about Herod again. And Herod says, no, 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 John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. It's him. It's him. Now, when we look at Herod and we call them the Herodians, 
Herodian dynasty, uh, we see people who are very superstitious individuals, even though they claim to be part of the Hebrew faith. See, Herod and the Herodians, they were actually Edomites. And Edomites are the descendant of Esau. You may have heard of that name. Well, they claim to be part of the faith of the Israelites. And the Israelites are descendants of Jacob, a.k.a. Israel as well. Esau and Jacob have a relation. That relation is, hundreds of years before this, Esau is the older brother of Jacob, also known as Israel. Now, the Edomites and the Israelites were having this, you know, they never really got along, but here is the Herodian family. They're embracing the Hebraic faith, Judaism. But Herod isn't really spiritual. He is more superstitious. He has all this guilt in him. And he's thinking, John the Baptist, come back, and he's going to come, and he's going to get me. He's going to get me. So that's the superstitious feeling that he has. He's not really following the faith of the Hebrews. And before we dive more into the passage, I need to give you some background information on a few people that we are looking at today. So the first one is John the Baptist, okay? Disciple of God, forerunner to the Messiah. A good, good man. Then there's Herod the Great. Herod the Great isn't really mentioned here, but I need to talk about Herod the Great. Herod the Great was in power when Jesus was born. Do you guys remember the story of the three wise men going to Herod the Great? Right? You know, we, we said that story about, you know, a couple months ago. And, and Herod was an incredible man. He was an incredible leader, ruthless at times, but he knew what he wanted. And what he really wanted was he wanted to get married. So Herod had 14, 14 wives. Okay, now just think of that. Think about 14 set of in-laws. <laughs> Some of you guys are saying, that's 13 too many. Others, you, others are probably saying, that's 14 too many. Okay, so with 14 wives, he has a lot of children, female children, and he has a lot of male children as well. But they wanted to carry the name, so many of them had the name Herod in their name. Got a little bit confusing. So Herod, Herod the Great had a palace, and in that palace he had some sons. There's a Herod, Herod here, Herod, Herod there, here, Herod, there, Herod, everywhere a Herod, Herod. Okay? And the story of the Herodians is like a soap opera. Okay, it's like a soap opera. Okay, so these are the days of our lives. Okay, so here we have one of his sons, Herod, Aristobulus IV, can't believe there's three in front of him, but anyways, with that name, okay, gets married. They have a daughter named Herodias. Okay, now we're sort of getting into some people in this passage here. So, one day, Herod Philip comes, and Herod Philip, he looks at Herodias. Herod Philip and Herod Aristobulus IV are half-brothers. Now, just think about this. He fell in love, or maybe in lust, with his niece. Okay, that's a little bit immoral. That's pretty, a little bit, that, let's label it. It's immoral. It's disgusting. It's just not good. Something that really wouldn't happen in our world today. Okay, but again, as I said, this is like a soap opera. So as the world turns, Herod Philip and Herodias have a daughter. In scripture, it doesn't give her her name, but commentators believe that her name is Salome. Well, one day, 
this guy comes in, Herod Antipas. That's the guy in the story, also known as Herod. History sort of repeats itself. Okay, so Herod Antipas is married to a princess of a neighboring kingdom for political union, you know, so that there's no war. This is this peace treaty. Well, Herod has eyes for Herodias. Herod Philip and Herod Antipas are half-brothers. Okay, this is pretty disgusting. It gets worse and worse. So here we have this man falling in love with his brother's wife, who just happens to be his niece. Okay, pretty complicated, but pretty disgusting, pretty sick. So this is what happens. Herodias divorces Philip. Herod divorces the princess. And her daddy, who's the king, is not happy at all. Okay, at all. Okay? So this is the world that we live in. This is, this is crazy. This is first century. This is evil. This is immoral. And uh, it's just not good. And you know what? I'm sh- you, know, you probably think the stuff that you're streaming online and binging every weekend is bad, right? And all the drama. This is the drama here. If this was a TV show, it would be called Keeping Up with the Herodians. <laughs> so here we have Herod. Herod Antipas, we're going to call him Herod. Okay, Herodias is his wife slash niece slash really disgusting. Okay, and then we have the daughter. Um, I may refer to her as Salome, but I'll probably just call her daughter. Okay, so we have this people. Now, when we look into the story and look at all the people, we have opposites taking place. Here we have John the Baptist, the good disciple. And here we have these three incredible people on the other side. This is the story of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the devil. This is the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. This is good versus evil taking place right here. And in this story, we see evil. It has a mask and it's slowly taking off his mask and we're seeing how bad, horrible evil is. And this is just tip of the iceberg that we are seeing today. And it is horrendous. John the Baptist goes to Herod. And he says, Herod, you claim to be part of the Hebrew faith. But what you're doing is immoral. He's going to him out of love for him and with lots of courage. And the word he's thinking, Herod's thinking, okay, this is interesting. But Herodias here, she absolutely hates John the Baptist so much. So, so much. Now we go into the rest of the scripture. Here we have, we have John. He is arrested and he's bound and he's put in prison because of Herod. And why did Herod do this? Herod did this because of Herodias, his wife. I want John in prison now. And he did it. Because John had enough courage to go to Herod and say, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, quoting Leviticus. You, you, you just can't do this. If you claim to do this, if you claim to be part of the faith, you should not be doing this. See, what Herod was doing was he had, he loved his sin. He absolutely loved his sin. And so did Herodias, loved the sin. And they were paying lip service to their faith. That's what they were doing. And this is nothing new because lip service has been around for many, many years. 
for thousands of years, when people say that they're part of one faith, but they don't really live it out. And this is horrible, what is going to happen and what's going to take place next. Well, Herodias absolutely hates John and has this grudge. And the Bible says, nursed a grudge against John. So the imagery is when there's a baby, baby being born, and the mother nursing the baby, so the baby has strength and grows up. This is what Herodias is doing with her sin, the hatred, the bitterness, turns into a plot to kill John the Baptist. But she can't do this because Herod is in charge because there's this really interesting relationship between Herod and John. Because Herod knows that John is a righteous man and he's holy. He's also very popular among the people. And whenever John speaks, Herod's puzzled. But the Bible says that he liked to listen to John. Why? Because John has gone to Herod in love and speaking the truth in love. There were other religious leaders that, that went to Herod and said, what are you doing? This is awful. This is horrible. You should not be marrying this. This is wrong what you're doing. But here is John. He has enough courage. He goes to the so-called king out of love in his heart for him to tell him you need to repent of your sins because you need to have a right relationship with God. He does this out of love and the truth is there. And the truth for Herod is, is intriguing. It is interesting. It's something that he wants to maybe listen to. And he's finding it very, very intriguing what is taking place. But Herodias, Herodias absolutely hates John and wants to kill him. And she is ready to pounce at any opportunity. Evil is like that. Evil's going to wait for the right time. Evil's going to lurk for the right time. And when it's the right time, evil will pounce on a situation. And this is what happens. Finally, the opportune time came, and it's on his birthday. And what does Herod do on his birthday? He gives a banquet. Now, really, like, what kind of man does this? It's my birthday, so I'm throwing my own birthday party. Like, what? Like, really? <laughs> What's wrong with you? But he brings everybody with him. He's like, yeah, yeah, all the high officials are going to be there. My military commanders are going to be there. And all the leading men of Galilee. You know, when Herod did things, he did things big. And this uh, banquet was one that I don't think you would want to be in. Okay? This was an immoral banquet that was taking place of not just the alcohol being given out, but just horrible thought, horrible things, because the Herodians were more Roman than they were Hebraic, okay? They loved the lavishness of parties and every, all the evil that would take place. And it's believed that Herodias was in on the planning of this banquet, because it's believed that she would also bring her daughter into the planning of this banquet as well. Well, it goes on, and it says, when the daughter of Herodias came in, she danced. Now, Herodias' daughter would have been, it says childbearing ears, commentators believe she would have been young, would have been probably a teenager. And this dance, this is not, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a rendition of Swan Lake, okay, that she's gonna be dancing. This dance is immoral, 
Okay, it's evil, and it's sexual in nature. In front of her stepfather, and in front of the other dinner guests who were all male. His, her mother had something to do with this. Now just think about the immorality that's taking place in the Herodian family here. Letting your daughter go out and dance a sexual dance in front of other men and her stepfather. Own relatives. This is pretty sick. And this is what the Bible says. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you because he was so pleased, so pleased with her dance and all the other men loved that dance. And he says, you know what? He's probably half drunk, okay, at this time. He says, I'm gonna give you everything you want. And he does this, he makes an oath. Now an oath in today's day, isn't really that big, but an oath in the past meant a lot. This was your word. You were bound to it. So he has this oath, and he says this saying, he says, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. He's not really going to give half the kingdom, but it was just a saying. But he gives an oath to her. Oh, you really pleased everybody. You did this beautiful dance. Oh, what, what do you want? What do you want? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She goes back to her mother and says, what shall I ask for? And while without wasting any time, this is what the mother says. Immediately she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. Without delay. It doesn't say, say that she thought about it. It doesn't say she had a coffee and to think about it, you know, oh, what should I ask for? No, she said, I want John the Baptist. I want his head. I want his head. And when you look at the scripture, it's really interesting what it says, because it's believed that the daughter had something to do with this. It says, all at once, the girl hurried. She ran to the king, and she adds a couple of things. She says, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I want it ASAP, and I want to display it in front of everybody. Think about how grotesque the ask is. When Herod hears about this, he sobers up a bit, gets a little bit distressed. But you know what? He made an oath. Be careful what you promise. He made this oath in front of all these dinner guests. He has a reputation that he has to do this because if he doesn't do this, he's going to look bad. But you know what? Herod had every opportunity to go the other way, but he chose not to refuse her, but go and do what she asked. And then this is what Herod does. He immediately, doesn't wait, sends an executioner, bring John's head back. The man went, he beheaded John in prison, brought back the head on a platter. He presented it to the girl. And what does the girl do? Gives it to her mother. It's pretty a sick story. It's pretty a disgusting, vile story. We see evil in this Immorality, we see it in the action, everything that has taken place here. In the very last verse, on hearing this, John's disciples came, took his body, laid it in a tomb. John's disciples actually had a lot of courage to go to the king and said, you know what, this is our master, we want his body, we want to bury him. In the evil, in the darkness that is there, that darkness continues today. Evil is around today. 
So the scripture, Mark 16, 14, 29. In this biblical account, we see opposites. We see the kingdom of God against the kingdom of the devil. And, and I was kind of like hesitant to say, do I say kingdom of God, kingdom of the devil? Because it sounds really harsh. But you know what? Evil is harsh and the truth is harsh as well. So it is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the devil. And here we have two separate sides. We see a man of God who stands up for righteousness, and we see the ugliness of sin and the machinery of evil creating a, sin, a scene that is absolutely awful. And as I mentioned before, the title of my message is simply Disciple. On one side, we see a disciple of God, of light, of good, and on the other side, we see a disciple of the devil, darkness, and evil. Now, a person is e a disciple, but you're either a disciple of good, of righteousness, of God, or by default, you are a disciple of the devil, of evil, whether you know it or not. There's only two sides in this world, God's side or the devil's side. And for those who are followers of Christ, we are on God's side. There's the other side, where people know it or not, it's the side of the devil. Now, for the next few moments, I want to give you three aspects of a disciple. And all of these aspects can be used for a disciple of God, Christ followers, but also for disciples who are not of God. Because this word can be used in any context. Disciple, whether it's godly or ungodly. So each one of us, every one of us that has been born with the exception of Jesus Christ is born with the sinful nature. And the sinful nature, it's a natural inclination to sin. Given the choice to do God's will or our own, we naturally choose to do our own thing. And there's proof of the sinful nature. No one has to teach a child how to lie or to be selfish, right? We as parents and as teachers, what, what, what do we do? We try to teach our children to, to, to put somebody else above them and to, and to tell the truth. Sin is part of our being. The Bible speaks of sinful flesh in Romans 8. All of us have a sinful nature, and it affects every part of us. Total depravity. All of us has, have gone astray, as Isaiah says, and we can be a slave to sin, as Romans 7 says. It is the sinful nature that affects us. However, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we are born again, when we accept the sacrifice of the cross, what Jesus did, went on the cross, took the wrath of God, he had sin put upon him, our sin, the one who was without sin, had sin, our sin placed upon him, the wrath of God comes upon him, he pays the punishment for all of us, and we have eternal life because of the great sacrifice and the resurrection and the spirit of God that lives within us. And we have to recognize that there is a sinful nature. And as we are born again, we become a new creature. Second Corinthians says that if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone. Now, we don't lose the sinful nature, but we have this new nature upon us. And the Holy Spirit is within us and guides us each and every moment of the day during this life. So we do still have the sinful nature, but we are new nature, we have a new nature from Christ, and the Holy Spirit helps us in this battle that we have. So it is the sinful nature that we are born with, which 
affects the aspects that I'm going to be talking about in the next moment. So the first aspect of a disciple is this, conscience. Conscience. What is conscience? One definition is that it's the inner feeling viewed as acting as a guide to what is right or what is wrong. Conscience can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing based on certain set of values. There's only two sets of values in this world, God's values and the ungodly values. Let's look at John the Baptist. His conscience was towards God and he submit to God. He was submitting to God. Now, this submitting to God isn't because he's forced to, but it's out of the love that he has for God. We submit to God because of the love that he has lavished on us, that he has given us eternal life and eternal relationship. So we gladly submit to him as disciples of God, as we are new creatures in Christ. And John's conscience was towards God. Conversely, when we look at Herod and his family, their conscience was total, diametrically opposed to that of the will of God, to the word of God. They claimed to be following the Hebrew faith, but their actions spoke louder than words. Their set of values was totally affected by the sinful nature, and they allowed the evil to overcome them. R.C. Sproul says this of conscience. He says the single greatest restraint on evil is that God has placed in this world is conscience. The most wicked people, sociopaths and psychopaths, are sometimes described as being without conscience. Nevertheless, they have not been able to annihilate altogether the voice of right and wrong that God has implanted in every human creature. A disciple of God will not follow their own will or their own selfish ways, but they will follow the will of God, submit to him, and know what God wants them to do by reading the word of God and through prayer. The second aspect is choice. Now the word choice can be good or bad. Sometimes you make a choice and it can be good, and sometimes you make a choice and it can be bad. Sometimes choices are very difficult. For example, go to a buffet. What are you gonna eat at a buffet? There's so much stuff there, right? You're gonna have this or you're gonna have that? Oh, you take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that, take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that, then you get a whole lot of this. <laughs> which is not good because you just came out of Christmas. Okay, so choice can be easy or choice can be very, very difficult. But choices are good or bad based on the value system. For the Christ follower, the choice is based on the Bible and following the word of God, our conscience. And the choice that we have is based on the gospel that we have received, which is the story of redemption from God. Now the gospel, the story of redemption from God, is not based on God having an obligation to humanity. God wasn't obliged to do anything. It wasn't, it wasn't also that God was, he had nothing else to do. Ah, I finished creating everything, and oh, what am I gonna do? Oh, I think I'm gonna give redemption to humanity. Yeah, the, that group of people. No, why was the gospel given? It was given because of the love for others. God had this love for humanity, and we as disciples of Christ need to have love for others as God loves humanity. Let's go back to John the Baptist. John was called to tell the people, you need to ask for forgiveness of your sins and have the right relationship with God. That message was based on love. And it's out of the choice to love that John the Baptist had enough courage to go to Herod and tell him. Herod could have killed him in an instant, but he had enough courage to go to him, enough love for Herod, and to explain to him about having a right relationship before God. The passage states that Herod was so intrigued with what John had to say. 
other religious leaders would have just pointed at Herod. But John comes in love and has a conversation with him. And we, are, who are disciples of God, we need to speak the truth in love for others. Just as John did. He shows compassion on Herod, speaking to him. And conversely, on the other side, we have Herod, and by extension Herodias, not choosing love, but choosing hate. Their choice is based on their conscience, their own set of values that are diametrically opposed to God. It was all hatred and no love. It was evil, pure evil. When John came to the family out of love, the response was bitterness that grew into the grudge, which grew into a plot to have him killed. It was a choice that they made. You know, as a disciple of Christ, it, you know what? It, it's easy for us to follow our sinful nature. It's easy for us to choose hate over love. It's not easy taking the high road. It's not easy taking the narrow road that leads, leads to righteousness. It's easier taking the broad road that leads to destruction. But as disciples of God, we must choose to love others. And as disciples of God, we already know what people will do when we tell them the truth of God in love. Some may not take that very well. In fact, Jesus in Matthew says, Jesus says himself, he told us that you will be hated by everyone because of him, because of the truth that is given to humanity. So conscience, choice, and now consequence. Here, the word consequence is basically the word result. The reason why I chose the word consequence because it starts with the letter C, goes well with my points. So here we have the result. Here we have the consequence. Consequence can be good or consequence can be bad. When you do the right things, you have a good consequence. When you have bad things, bad consequence. John the Baptist, follower of God, disciple of God, forerunner to the Messiah. What do you think the consequence for him was? His conscience was full of God in following his ways. He chose love over hate. What was that consequence? Even though he was brutally murdered, what was his consequence? Throughout all of this, it was the peace from God. Nowhere in scripture does it say that John was beside himself when the execution was coming. Nowhere does it say in scripture that John was worried. No, nowhere in scripture does it say that, oh no, what did he do? What did I do? Why did I do this? Nowhere does it say that. But John had the peace from God living out his life. That was a great thing for him because of his relationship with God. And that peace... That peace is not just here on earth, but that's eternal peace for all eternity and eternal life with God. John lived a life that was worthy of a disciple. In fact, Jesus said this about John. Beautiful and absolutely lovely and incredible tribute that Jesus gives to John. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He was greater than all the prophets. This is a good result. This is a good consequence. Let's look at Herod and his family now. The consequence for them and their entire household was not good. In fact, it was horrible. It was bad. History records that when a new emperor in Rome came, Herod demanded to be called king. And the emperor said no. And he was banished to the other side of the empire in Gaul, which is now present-day France. And I'll tell you, everybody, that he wasn't sipping cafe lattes with Herodias and having a chocolate croissant. 
He was banished. He was punished. This is the same Herod during Passion Week when a guy named Jesus came in front of him. And he said, oh, I've heard about you, Jesus. You're a performer. Perform me a miracle. He had the Savior of the world in front of him. He knew about righteousness through John the Baptist. He heard about Jesus. He had every opportunity there to open up his heart and to know who God is and have a relationship with him. What was his consequence? He rejected God. And it wasn't peace from God. It was eternal separation from God. That is what happened to Herod. That was that consequence. God calls us into a relationship with him. And as the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, people hear the message, and whosoever hears enters into that relationship. We are called not just followers of God, but let us be disciples of God. Conscience, choice, and consequence. John was that kind of disciple. God calls Christ's followers to be disciples. For those who are disciples of God, I have a question for you today. What is one way that you can live differently and be a better disciple? You know, initially when reading this passage, one would think that this is a tragedy with John the Baptist and his murder. But the end result for John the Baptist was receiving peace from God and eternal life with God. The tragedy is totally opposite. The tragedy is not with John the Baptist. The real tragedy in the story is the story of Herod and his entire family because they heard the story of redemption and instead of acting on it, they totally rejected it. That whosoever hears, let them hear and respond. You know, there are people that you may know that maybe, uh, well, that hear the message of the gospel and, and they feel that it's not right for them. Maybe you're such a person in this room that, you know, it's just not for me, not for me today. But you've heard it many times. You know, maybe maybe we're waiting for tomorrow. Herod had that opportunity, but his tomorrow never came because it was too late for him. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the next two minutes hold. But what I can say today to all of you in this room is that God loves you. And he calls out to you as you hear the message of redemption, the gospel message. And he's calling you right now to be in a relationship with him through his grace, through his love that he has for you. And he's calling you right now. Why wait for tomorrow, for a tomorrow that never come? Will you answer that call to be in a relationship with God? It's a decision that you make from your heart. To have a relationship with God, you ask him to forgive you of your sins because that is what separates you from a relationship with him. That you believe Jesus is the only God and you commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to become a disciple of God. If you want to have a relationship with God, you can pray a prayer in a few minutes with me and I will lead you in that prayer. Let us all be disciples of God as God is calling us into a relationship with him and not be part of a tragedy. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for people like John the Baptist. We thank you for what type of individual he was. And Lord, I pray as you call all of us to become disciples of you, that those who are disciples of God right now, 
that, Father, we, we can always do better, that we get stronger in you, O oh God. Guide us and be with us. Teach us more how to live like you. Now, for those of you in this room who are wondering about this relationship with God, remember I said it's a relationship with God. It's not joining a church or a religious organization or something organized. It's, it's, it's just simply an or, a relationship with God, the one who has created you, who loves you. Because you have this sinful nature. We all do. But God is here and he's calling you into relationship with him. And if that is you in this room and you want a relationship with God, I ask that you repeat this prayer after me. This decision comes from your heart. Let it be today. He loves you. There's no need to wait for tomorrow. And pray this with me silently in your heart. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the only God. That there is no other but Jesus. And I commit my life to you to be a disciple of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.